From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. I'm Bob Garfield. And I'm Brooke Gladstone. You may have heard about the latest thing that will kill you. Welcome back. A new study from the University of Sydney. Hey, you going, mate? Finds that sleeping more than nine hours a day is associated with a higher risk of premature death. Coming up, a new study about sleep and whether too much of a good thing is actually a bad thing. The Daily Mail wrote, too much sleep is as bad for your health as smoking and drinking alcohol. And Cosmopolitan wrote, oh great, oversleeping can kill you. Extra sleep, that one thing we all thought was sacred, unequivocally good for us, is deadly? Well, as you might expect if you're a regular listener, this study isn't as scary as it sounds. It pointed to statistical associations, not cause and effect. The researchers hedged their findings, conceding that the sample wasn't representative, and they even caution against definitive statements about the results. But that's all in the actual study, and no one, reporters or news consumers, wants to read that, right? Sleep's momentary fall from grace is just the latest link in a perpetual feedback loop of specious health stories proclaiming that a favored health behavior like drinking red wine, for instance, will either kill you... Wine or any alcohol increases the risk of breast cancer. ...or save you. Ladies, drink your red wine. It could prevent breast cancer. ...or kill you... I probably told you hundreds of times that red wine is good for your heart. But recent news is raising questions. Or save you. It'll help you with good cholesterol. It lowers blood pressure, lowers stress, and just has many, many health benefits. And so for the rest of the show, we'll revisit our favorite segments about the dodgy world of health news, celebrity diet advice, and the marketing of maladies, complete with two of our Breaking News Consumers Handbooks, which you can find on our website. Let's start with an object lesson. John Bohannon is a contributing correspondent at Science Magazine. Back in December of 2014, he received a call from German TV reporter Peter Onikin, who had an intriguing proposition. Let's do a real study with real people to test the health benefits of chocolate. We're going to do a really bad job on the statistics and the design of the experiment. Get a bad paper published and then build a global multimedia campaign around it (laughs) and see how far it goes. In Germany, it's as big a problem as it is here. There are diet fads that come like tsunamis every few months. You wonder, how did journalists miss this? Why didn't they smell a rat when they started looking into the story in the first place? And so the study was launched. Onikin and his partner Diana Lovell used Facebook to recruit five men and 11 women aged 19 to 67. A German doctor named Gunther Frank oversaw the three-week trial. That's right, 16 people, three weeks. People were randomly assigned to three groups. One was the control. So basically for a few weeks, it's going to be life as usual. Another group was on a low-carb diet. Nothing drastic, kind of a standard low-carbohydrate diet. And then the third group was the exact same low-carbohydrate diet plus a bar of chocolate every day. An ounce and a half of bitter chocolate, like over 80% cocoa. That was Gunter Frank's idea. He says that in Germany, there's this almost religious movement for foods that taste bad, therefore they must be good for you. You have to make it slightly unpleasant. If they could discern any difference at all between the low-carb chocolate eaters and the others, they would declare that chocolate 
worked. Now, here's the trick. If you want to get a false positive effect, something that looks sexy but probably isn't real, measure a ton of stuff about those people. So they recorded 18 different measurements. Blood protein levels, cholesterol, sodium, sleep quality, well-being, everything. Except for one seemingly crucial marker for a diet experiment— what they ate. Oh, well, <laughs> if you want to be a stickler, we actually didn't care, really, what they ate. Because our goal wasn't to do good science. We wanted to create a big, multi-dimensional data set that we could go treasure hunting in. And the results? If you eat chocolate, you lost a pound or two. 10% faster than the group that didn't eat chocolate. Less than the amount a woman could possibly lose in the course of a month with her menstrual cycle. You got it. That could just be water weight. Now the easy part, publishing the result. As we've covered before on the show, the pay-to-publish science journal industry is notoriously easy to buy into. I just tried to do my shopping on the list of known bad guys. And sure enough, I started getting acceptances uh, within 24 hours. Two weeks later, for the bargain price of 600 euros, they were in print. The final touch, Bohannon's hot and sticky press release. It really should be kind of a perfect little story. It should tell you why you should care, what happened, be very specific, and then provide a lot of what we call color. Quotes and funny connections if they exist. Something I didn't do. This was coming out pretty close to Easter, and it's a study about chocolate. I should have made that connection. (laughs) Luckily, all of the journalists who covered this had the same idea. And you had made-up quotes, uh, one by a certain Mr. Johannes Bohannon. Oh, please, doctor. Dr. Johannes Bohannon. (laughs) Herr Dr. Bohannon said, The best part about this discovery is that you can buy chocolate everywhere. What makes my skin crawl is when I hold the news release in one hand and the story in the other hand. And the quote is lifted verbatim from the news release without attribution. Gary Schweitzer, the publisher of healthnewsreview.org, is a dogged exposer of health news shams, scams, and all-round slop. It makes the news organization look like it independently sought out that work. The reporter really never left his or her desk. You're not living up to your responsibility as a journalist if you do that. And so, the first item in our Breaking News Consumers Handbook Health News Edition, watch out for single-source stories. They're usually based on press releases. Item number two, beware stories that don't mention cost. Reuters had a story about an immunotherapy combination promising in a melanoma study. The drug in question costs around $30,000 per injection, and the combined cost, more than a quarter million dollars a year. The story didn't touch on cost at all. How can we be talking about how wonderful a drug is and not talk about costs? Something else to consider? When a new treatment is said to reduce your risk of disease by, say, 50%, is it a relative 50% or an actual 50%? Stay with me. It's the omega-3s in fish, like salmon, will reduce your risk for depression up to 50%. Oh, wow. Ask yourself, 50% of what? Here's a classic example. When a drug company marketed its drug for osteoporosis. This was a Merck drug, right? Yep. They marketed it as reducing the rate of hip fracture by 50%. The data showed it reduced the risk of hip fracture from 2 in 100 in the untreated group 
to 1 in 100 in the treated group. That is indeed a 50% relative risk reduction, but in the absolute look at how the group benefited, 1 in 100 benefited. It is a 1% absolute (laughs) risk reduction, and the other 99 had to run the risk of side effects and pay for the drug and stand no chance of benefit. Item four, if you think it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If all you hear is predominantly about the benefits, run for the hills because there are trade-offs in all healthcare interventions. One way you'll know you're not getting the full picture, the fifth item on our list. Beware too many patient testimonials. You know, there's this old saying, the plural of anecdote is not data. We write a lot about screening tests, patients saying, I'm glad I had that mammogram. I'm glad I had that PSA blood test for prostate cancer because it saved my life. Something that we can never prove. Which brings us to item six. Now for the first time, there's evidence that a simple screening test can catch lung tumors earlier. If you ever hear somebody talking about a simple screening test, there is no such thing. Screening test decisions should be among the most complex that we face in all of our healthcare decision making. Some people will say it's not a screening test decision, it's a decision about what you do after the results of the screening test. To those people, I'd say you have not talked with people who have experienced harms and regrets, as I have and as many people have. And there are other words you should watch for, words like... A breakthrough in treating heart disease. A breakthrough in treating blindness. It's called a medical miracle treatment saving lives. The miracle treatment some are calling hope in a Petri dish. Plus a treatment that's the first of its kind. Has approved a first-of-its-kind treatment. A game-changer in the way breast cancer is treated. A new treatment could be a game-changer. First of all, this isn't a game. Let's stop calling it a game-changer. Is this making a difference in people's lives, or is it making a difference in people's pocketbooks first, before all the evidence is in hand? We hear this could become the new standard of care. Anytime you hear, it may become, it could become, substitute, it may not become. Item eight, new isn't always better. There's a phrase in medicine right now that I think we ought to adopt in journalism, and it's called slow medicine. And it's clinicians talking to each other saying, this is getting out of control. Let's slow down. Let's talk with patients. Let's make sure we do a good history before we pull out that prescription pad. Related to this slow medicine movement, the ninth item in our handbook, beware of disease mongering. That means turning normal conditions like balding into pathologies. And disease mongering can also apply to treating risk factors for disease as if they were diseases unto themselves. So maybe the classic example is LDL cholesterol. Do we make the public fixate on know your numbers without dwelling on the numbers that really matter, like did this have an impact on the rate of death from heart disease? In disease mongering, we lower the threshold. So we now get more bent out of shape about blood pressures, blood cholesterol levels, blood glucose levels that are lower than what we used to get bent out of shape about 10 or 15 years ago. Item 10, treatment availability 
is often a mirage. The test is still in preclinical trial phases. The company is hoping for FDA approval by the end of the year. Take the crystal ball and throw it out the window. Phase one drug trials, they're meant primarily to say, hey, before we go forward, let's make sure it's safe. But you'll see stories about phase one trials that make claims about benefits, as if these things were available at our corner drugstore and they're not. And finally, item 11, the distance between mice and men. Researchers studying mice found that exposure to cell phone radiation during pregnancy affected brain development. If a study on mice is any indication, the idea of yo-yo dieting may actually be good for you after all. The leap from mice to men and women. Well, this month we had these great pictures of Pluto. It's about that much of a leap. Thus concludes our Breaking News Consumer's Handbook Health News Edition. Now let's check back with John Bohannon. When we last left our hero, he had successfully completed a three-week-long sham trial designed to illustrate the weight loss potential of dark chocolate. Armed with an article printed in a pay-to-publish medical journal and a killer press release, it was time to see what news outlets would take the bait. The largest tabloid newspaper in Europe called Bild, published out of Germany, did a cover story on it. You know, that reached a huge number of people immediately. And then it spread to the British tabloid newspapers, the Daily Star, the Irish Examiner, the Times of India, Cosmopolitan's German website. And then it spread to television. German scientists found out your diet works better, faster, if you combine it with dark chocolate. This is real. Adding chocolate, you'll lose weight. I'm not kidding. A study out of Germany found that chocolate not only accelerates weight loss, but also aids in sleep quality. To be fair, the study wasn't picked up by the New York Times or the Washington Post, the Daily Mail, or Bild. They're not known for their journalistic rigor. Where do you think the vast majority of people who pick up a fad diet learned it? It's not from the New York Times. They learn it from the Daily Mail and the Huffington Post and the Internet. John Bohannon is a contributing correspondent at Science Magazine. Coming up, beware celebs selling snake oil. Celebrities like Madonna and Demi Moore are said to be big fans of werewolf diet. Advocates claim that fasting with juice cleanses during a new moon or a full moon can help you lose as much as six pounds in a single day. This is On The Media. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.